I'm excited to celebrate Easter with you guys this morning, and really I've been thinking about this message, I've been thinking about um, those of you who would be guests with us this morning, and just thought about the questions that I would have coming into a service where maybe you don't believe that Jesus is risen. And as I was thinking about that, I thought maybe the best way for us to approach this this morning is not to go through sort of a logical argument for why we believe that Jesus is alive, but my hope is actually that you would encounter the living Christ, that you would actually meet him and experience his presence here. And you might be wondering, well, how in the world am I going to meet Jesus? How do people have this encounter with him? And I think it sort of works the way that we have encounters in nature. And so maybe you've had an experience like this. I remember going to a camp when I was in college and going out on a canoe at night. And I went out on this canoe by myself, and I was on a pond. And when I was in the middle of the pond, I laid down flat in the canoe and just looked up at the stars. And because it was pitch dark outside and there was almost no natural light, I had an encounter with the stars. Like there's those moments you see the stars, right? You know that they're there. But you know those moments where you encounter the stars or you encounter a mountain, something incredibly beautiful. Those make an imprint on our souls. And my hope is that the word of God will become like that canoe for you this morning. That it will become the avenue through which you see the brightest star in the galaxy, the glory of Jesus Christ. And that as we peer into his word, I pray that you would be praying, God, open my eyes so that I can see you, that I can know you, and that I can have an encounter with you. And so we're looking at John chapter 11, and what we're going to see are three different sightings of Jesus in this story about an encounter that Jesus has with a family. So we're starting in John chapter 11. Actually not going to read the whole thing, but just going to take these little snapshots. And so the first thing that we're going to see is the pattern of his love, the pattern of Jesus' love. John chapter 11, verses 5 through 6 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, sister's name's Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So we know immediately that this family that Jesus is interacting with, he has deep affection for them. He loves them. But normally, when we as humans love another person, when they have a need, particularly some kind of sickness within their family, and they call for us, 
our immediate response is to drop everything that we're doing and to go and help that person or help that family, to be by the bedside with them. And what's surprising to us in this story immediately is that Jesus' response is the exact opposite. This family comes to Jesus and they say, our brother Lazarus is sick. And we learn later in the story that he's so sick that he's about to die. And Jesus hears the news, and it doesn't say that Jesus was busy doing other things. It says that he waited. His response to their need was not to rush to their aid. His response to their need was to wait. And the period of time that he waits becomes a very important element of the story because it's in exactly two days that Lazarus would die. In other words, Jesus, knowing that Lazarus was so sick that he was going to die, waited two days so that Lazarus would die. And he tells Mary and Martha the reason that he did it. He actually gives his purpose just before this verse. You can read through the entire story. But he says that the reason that he would wait is because he wanted them to have a personal encounter with him. The way that he said that was he wanted them to see his glory. There was something more important to Jesus for this family than that they would get their immediate felt needs met. The most important thing was that they would see and know and encounter Jesus in all of his beauty and all of his glory. And some of you, your immediate response to that is, wait, you don't know what's going on in my life. Because this is heavy, right? I mean, we're talking about a man who is on his deathbed and his family members are asking Jesus to come and to heal him. And Jesus is waiting. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it can actually feel a little bit mean. And especially when we get in a situation like that, and our emotions kick in, and we begin to ask the why questions, we think, I don't like the pattern of Jesus' love. I don't like that there's this holding period where I have to go through pain and I have to wait. Let me just let you guys in on my life story as I stand up here on the stage right now with you. Because... I want you to know that I'm not speaking about the pattern of Jesus' love as a distant spectator. I'm speaking about the pattern of Jesus' love in the middle of one of the hardest things in my life. So just yesterday, I was at Children's Hospital of Minnesota 
My son has been in the cardiac intensive care unit there since the day that he was born, and he is seven weeks old. And I almost saw him die yesterday. His heart rate got elevated. My wife and I and my parents were sitting outside of the room. And literally, I almost thought I was going to say goodbye to him. And I've prayed hundreds of times over the last seven weeks, as you would too, that Jesus would come and that Jesus would intervene and that Jesus would heal him. And this passage has been like a balm to my soul this week. Because it takes me out of my circumstances and it gives me a lens into the purpose that Jesus has for my pain. And I see in this passage that it's actually because he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus that he waited two days. It's because they were his good friends. It's because he loved them. And it began to make me think, how much Jesus must love me. Isn't that amazing? He loves me so much that he's allowing me to go through this deep, painful trial and valley. And the rest of the story makes me stand on the edge. And it makes me think, what's going to happen next? How is Jesus going to intervene and show us as a church family through our story, his glory? And so whatever you're going through, I want you to know that God has you in the place that you're at for a purpose. The pattern of his love is to allow us to experience deep and painful things because he has a greater purpose for our life than just to meet our felt needs. He wants us to know him, to encounter the resurrected Christ in all of his power and all of his glory. And one of the primary ways he does that is through our trials and through our suffering. And so the question you might be wondering, okay, it seems at this point like Jesus has a plan. He's in charge. He knew that Lazarus was going to die. He has the big picture in mind. But when we're in the midst of the trials, when we're in the midst of the pain, where is Jesus then? And in this story, secondly, we see the depth of his compassion. We see that he's not distant. He's not far away. He is intimately close. He doesn't just sort of start his plan and leave us hanging. He actually comes near to us in that. So John eleven thirty five. 35, this is your memory verse for the week. Shortest verse in the Bible simply says this, Jesus wept. Isn't that great? You can go home. If you never memorized a scripture before, you can say, I memorized a verse this week. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. 
So after the two days, Jesus goes to visit Martha and her sister Mary, and Lazarus has died. And both of the sisters say the same thing to Jesus. They say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many times do you think God's heard that one in the history of the universe? (laughs) He's like, oh yeah, I've heard this one before, right? And Jesus responds to them by coming to Lazarus's graveside and weeping. Isn't that amazing? Can you see Jesus' face? You see the tears running down his eyes. You see that he doesn't have this look on his face like, I've got everything under control. No one has anything to worry about. Like he's just this distant deity who doesn't care about the intimate details of our lives. We see the tears running down his face. But it goes further than that, doesn't it? Because when you think of weeping, you don't just think of tears running down somebody's face. You think of his chest just going in and out. You think of like he's got a snotty nose, right? He's asking for some Kleenex, wishing those would have been invented a little bit earlier. He is just as in it as in it can be with this family. And we begin to ask the question, why? If Jesus has everything under control, he has a purpose, he's waited two days, he's sovereign, he's good, why is he wasting his time crying when he knows the end of the story? Isn't this sort of our human condition? I was reminded of that a few days ago when I was at the zoo with my kids. So we went to the zoo. They've got some nice indoor exhibits and all that. And we're walking through the inside of the zoo. And there's like this jungle exhibit. And it really feels like you're in the jungle, right? A little bit too much, it turns out. And so (laughs) we're walking through the jungle. And there was one particular part of it that I think especially just scared my kids really bad. There were these two monkeys of some kind that were like in a fight with each other. And so they're just yelling at each other as loud as they can and going back and forth and going back and forth. So that was sort of the tipping point. But then there were also, just to make things kind of come to life even more, there were just these small birds that were kind of like swooping down in front of you. And so I think if I were to like jump into the minds of my kids, they thought, well, if the birds can get out, then the snakes can get out too. The birds can get out. That monkey's going to bite me in the face. <laughs> right? And, and so they're crying and they're caught up in the moment. And, and honestly, I was pretty much the opposite of Jesus. Right? <laughs> like, I was not weeping with those who weep in this moment. I'm like, really? You serious? Like, I look around, like, all the other families are like normal, happy American families. <laughs> And I'm like the mad pastor with the kids that are crying. 
Because in that moment, the math that I did is, I said, I know the end of this story. Like, this isn't even a real jungle. <laughs> and we're supposed to be having fun. Why are you guys crying? So that's the way I do math, right? I know the end of the story. We're going to get out of here. I'm not going to join with you in your crying. Think about this. Jesus knows the end of this story. He knows that the reality that we live in is not ultimate reality. He walks with us through the fake jungles and our trials. Our life that he says is like a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. And he is so deeply caring and humble and compassionate that no matter how small or how insignificant your trials feel, Jesus understands completely and he cares for you deeply. And you have to feel, just because you don't have this big trial going on in your life, I think sometimes the little things can be the hardest ones because we try to handle them on our own. And we need to know that even in those things that other people in our lives, even the most well-intended, even Christian people, will roll their eyes at, Jesus cares. He's that good. He's that compassionate. You've got to see the tears running down his face, not just the sovereign plan that he has for your life. And now I think we're ready to see not only the pattern of his love, the depth of his compassion, but the surprise of his power. So Lazarus has died. Jesus shows up at the grave. This is what he tells his disciples. This is kind of funny. John eleven eleven. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And his disciples are kind of confused. They're like, well, if, if he's fallen asleep, then he's just going to wake back up again. And then later, Jesus is like, okay, you guys aren't getting this. I'll make it a little bit plainer for you. We can relate to the disciples all through the Gospels where Jesus is talking at one level and they're hearing him at another level and they don't get it. So he's got to spell it out really clearly. So he's like, okay, guys, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, well, I could wake him up. I mean, it'd be easy. And he's like, Lazarus is dead. And they're like, oh, okay. Lazarus is dead. Okay. You're going to just wake him up? Right? And so we come to sort of this crossroads in this story, like, what is Jesus talking about? He's either really confused, right? And he's kind of like the disciples, and he actually thinks that Lazarus is sleeping. Or he's a crazy person because he thinks he can raise people from the dead. Or he is who he says he is. 
the creator of the ends of the earth. You know, I love the perspective that my kids have. I remember being at my mother-in-law's funeral, and I was standing next to my twin girls. They were three at the time, and it was an open casket. And so my mother-in-law is laying over here in the casket. And my girls walk by, and they look up, and they say, why is grandma sleeping? And it reminded me of this passage. Right? And, I, and I thought it was cute. I was like, well, in a sense, she is sleeping, like Jesus said. And I mean, that went way over their head. So then I was just like, okay, she's, you know, tried to explain a little bit about death to her. Well, that's cute when a three-year-old does it, right? But it's not cute when a 33-year-old does it. Like, if I would have said that, I'm like, who is this guy? Right? So we have to get this very clear. At this moment, Jesus is saying something surprising and absolutely incredible about his glory and his power. He is saying that the deepest possible pain and suffering that a person can go through in their life, death, is like sleep to him. It is so easy for Jesus to raise someone from death that it is analogous to us waking someone up from sleep. So after saying this to his disciples, he goes, visits Mary and Martha, and he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. saying, I can raise people from death. I can give people eternal life, even death. The greatest undefeated enemy of humanity is no problem for me. It's not just that I can do random miracles. It's that I actually am the creator, the sustainer, and the giver of life. And I can give it to whomever I choose. And then Jesus proves it with three words. John eleven forty three, he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus at this point had been dead for four days. You think waking up from a nap is hard. <laughs> got this picture of Lazarus. He's got like the grave clothes on. He like, looks like a mummy and he's coming out and he's like, who called, right? Starts taking the grave clothes off and walks out of a tomb because Jesus said three words. One commentator said this about this passage. It was a good thing that Jesus said Lazarus before he said, come out. <laughs> Otherwise, all of the tombs would have been empty. 
I think that's the point. This was not hard for Jesus to do. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So here's the question. What does this mean for us? Because this is a really interesting thing. Just after this story, there's actually a plot for the religious leaders to kill Lazarus. Isn't that crazy? They hear he's been risen from the dead. And their thought is, let's kill him. Because he's going to tell people that Jesus rose him from the dead. But you think about it, it was actually a possibility for them to kill him. Because even though Jesus did this amazing miracle in the life of Lazarus, Lazarus still had to face this massive question. When I die and no one is there to raise me out of the grave to live on this earth again, what happens to me for eternity? Even if Jesus intervenes into our temporary suffering in our lives, there is a bigger question to be answered. What do I do with my sin? Bible teaches that the wages of our sin is death. The reason that people die is because our world is a fallen and broken place. And it is a fallen and broken place because of our sin. Death is the just punishment from a good God to sinful people. So what do we do with our sin? Jesus gives a further answer within this passage. John chapter 11, 25 through 27. Jesus said to her, that's to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. See, the central story of Christianity is not the story of Jesus raising Lazarus to life. The story of Jesus raising Lazarus to life is a preview of a greater story. And the greater story involves all of humanity. See, Jesus came to the earth to be your substitute. What that means is he lived the life that you could never live. And he did that for you. To live under God's law with perfect obedience. Because that's what God's law requires. And then he went to the cross and he took on the punishment for the sins of the world. He died on the cross in your place because he loves you. He wants to offer you forgiveness this morning and freedom and grace and a new start at life. And then Jesus was buried in the ground for three days, but death could not hold him. And this morning, all over the world, people are celebrating that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. 
And if you will put your faith in him, he will raise you from your death in your sin to new life in Christ. You can have freedom. You can have joy. You can know the power of the resurrection and the fear of death that is controlling your life will be banished forever. And you will be given a new hope that can never be taken away from you. And my question for you is the same question that Jesus had for Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because you cannot earn it. You can't perform your way into the kingdom of God. You just receive it with open hands like a little child. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this preview in scripture of your resurrection. Jesus, you are more powerful and more good than we could possibly imagine. And I thank you for your death on the cross in our place for our sin. And that death could not hold you. Death would have defeated every single one of us. And we would have known that we deserve to die because of our sin. But thank you for the hope that we have through your resurrection. That you have died and risen again. And all you ask us to do is believe this. I pray for that person right now who's just wrestling, struggling. I just came with a friend this morning. That through this good news, they would encounter you, Jesus. Know that you are the one that their heart has been longing for. You are the end game of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.